All right. Good Shabbos, everyone. Shabbos. Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom. Let's try that again. Good Shabbos, everyone. Good Shabbos. Good. We want to say uh, hello to uh, Chief Master Sergeant Hergenretter, who is serving uh, in, uh, well, Babylon. He's in Babylon, right? He's in Washington. And uh, God bless him. Uh, from what I understand, uh, if you've spent any time with us, you know that we we're trying to learn the history of God's people a thousand years at a time using the walls in the room, and he's been teaching his Air Force people the the history of God's people. How cool is that? So, welcome and greetings, Chief. Uh, we also want to say uh, hello to our new friends, the Hackets, who uh, may actually be uh, listening in from, where are they, Kentucky? Kentucky. Paducah, Kentucky, which, of course, everyone knows is in the middle of nowhere. That's right. Okay. Delightful people. All right. A couple of, couple of things that we need, to, we need to make sure we understand. I know that lady. I know that lady. And I know that man. All right, so a couple things, a couple things, a couple things, a couple things. First off, today's date is the 4th of Shabbat, the 4th of Shabbat, and we have, uh, we have a holiday coming up in about uh, three weeks, I think. Twelve days? Twelve days? No. Eleven days. Tu B'Shvat. is the 15th of Shabbat, and it is on the 8th of February. This is the, uh, what is what is Tu B'Shvat? It's the New Year New Year for Tree. Circumcision. The circumcision for It is. That's exactly what it is. Exactly what it is. All right. So that's the deal there. It's but it's a time to enjoy nuts and fruits. It's a it is a great food time. Yes, eat all the species, right? It's like a uh, you like trail mix. This is your holiday. Yes. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. Okay. Now, in a few weeks. We're going to have some special Shabbatot, which is special Sabbaths. And these are designed to prepare our hearts. And if you happen to be living in the land of Israel, and there's a temple, it's to prepare you physically for the coming of Pesach and for the, um, the various things that need to be done ahead of time, not the least of which is getting 11 out of our homes. Uh, but there are several Shabbats which are designed to help us remember, teach us different things, and they're going to be coming up at the back end of February. And uh, two of them, uh, the, the ones in February, are going to be not when we meet. Uh, Shabbat Shekelim and Shabbat Zachor. Shekelim? Shekels. Shekels? So what, what's that for? Yeah. It's the redemption deal. And of course, the firstborn is a big deal about Passover. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that probably next time we get together. Uh, Shabbat Zachor. Remember. Right? It's the Shabbat where we remember not to forget 
to remember Amalek. But we don't remember what it is. But we don't remember. That's right. And we're blotting out his memory so we don't remember. <laughs> but you never want to forget to remember not to... Okay. Um, right after Shabbat Zachor, of course, it leads right into Purim. Purim is going to be on March uh, 8th. And the day before is uh, a fast day. Um, traditionally for our people and we're fasting because Esther fasted right now she fasted for three days and called for everybody to do the same thing but we do it for one day so that's coming up then Purim and then uh, the following Shabbat will be Shabbat Parah Parah? Cow this is the cow Sabbath right and we're going to be talking about the, the ashes of the red heifer. The reason why that Shabbat is Shabbat Parah is because if you have become ritually defiled by touching a dead body, you need time in the ashes of the red heifer in order to become purified so that you can actually eat the Passover. So traditionally, everybody's reminded on that Shabbat so that you don't mess up, wait too long, and disqualified. Then we have Shabbat HaChodesh for the uh, first uh, of Nisan, and then Shabbat Hagadol. So we got a lot of these special Sabbaths coming up. There's actually four of them uh, before Shabbat Hagadol, the big Sabbath uh, in the middle of the week of unleavened bread. Okay, we're right before the week of unleavened bread. So questions on that? Comments? We okay? Everybody know it's coming up, and these traditions were put in place by our sages so that we would know and remember the Word of God. Right? That we would go back into the Scriptures and figure out why are we doing this. Okay. I'd like to take a little bit of a different tack today and make sure that we understand. I personally believe that this is one of the most important portions in the Bible. This is one of the most important portions that we read in the year. So I'm going to ask you why I think that. See how you do. This is parasha. Bo. Bo means come and go. go. Okay. And this portion gives us how many of the plagues? Two, three, eight, nine, and ten. First you got the Locust. Second, you've got darkness. that can be felt. And then you've got the death of the firstborn. Which is why the day before Pesach is the fast of the firstborn. Because we remember that if it were back then, it would have been tough. Somebody's got to die, Ben. That's right. All right. Why do I think this is the most important portion? I, I want to get down to basics so that we're not getting into some ethereal stuff about the sages. I mean, not basic stuff. Ken, give me basic. Redemption. Redemption. If there's any time where you want to get an example in the Scripture of what our blessed Messiah Yeshua did for us, it's here at Pesach. Amen? Johnny. The blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb. I mean, could you have a more poignant picture of exactly what is necessary for the wrath of God to pass over, Hebrew, Pesach, pass over you? If you think he had before, without question, this time God is showing his complete power to all the nations. I like that. I like that. We've got a major demonstration 
I saw this year a lot of alls. Right? Yes. All of the nations saw this. All of this happened to them. But all of these didn't happen to these guys. Greg. Eleven and the picture of sin. Absolutely. That's whole concept that God wants us to rid our lives of sin. He does desire and demand that we walk in holiness. I can remember my years in the uh, in professing Christendom where I was told without any contradiction, you can't keep the law. You cannot live a righteous life. I'm here to tell you, that's a bald-faced lie right out of the pit of hell and it smells like smoke. <laughs> you can live a righteous life because He's empowered you to do so. He has empowered you to keep His Torah and you can do it. And He expects you to do it. And if you want to sin, you paddle your own canoe. You did it because you chose to sin. You can choose not to sin. Yes, one law shall there be for the native and the proselyte yeah. who lives among you. This is a big deal, right? The whole idea that the law was either abolished, even though he said don't even think that that's the case, or that the law is just for the Jew and not for the gear. Because we're going to look at Toshav, right? Because it specifically says the Toshav, he can't participate. He may not eat the Passover. But the ger can, should, and will, provided he is circumcised. Right? It's the second time. He's got to be circumcised. So, I've been asked many times, do you think we should keep the law? Yes. Does that mean that I need to be circumcised to be saved? That's a stupid question. Do I need to be circumcised to be saved? No. No. If I'm saved, will I be circumcised? Yes. yes. Twice, in fact. On the heart. On the heart. Once on the heart. And the flesh. And once on the flesh. Oh, the plastic knife. Sorry. <laughs> A bit too late. Sorry. <laughs> but, but you know, if if you come into the faith and you choose to join yourself to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it is a fact that you don't need to do anything to be saved. God is the one who saves you, and it's His power in your life and the indwelling of His Spirit that empowers you to keep His Torah, to desire to please Him, and to walk in His ways. But once you come to this time on the calendar, some brother in the face should come up to you and say, Brother... We need to talk about the upcoming holiday. And so, all Israel is a part of the covenant. What else is absolutely unique and special in this particular portion? Anything else? Let me ask you a, a, a question that you might be able to theorize or spiritualize. Two questions about the blood. The blood was put on the on the lintel and the doorposts. So here's my two questions. Could other people see the blood? 
Yes. You know, last year we talked about how it doesn't really say whether it needs to be on the outside lintel and outside doorpost or on the inside lintel and inside doorposts. Can other people see the blood? Yes. I think the answer is yes. I didn't even see your lips move. That was great. <laughs> yes. Second, who's got to see the blood? Hashem. Hashem must see the blood. Otherwise, his wrath rests upon you. Okay. Here's a neat theory, though, on if they put it on the inside of the door. Yes. The, um, some of the sages who support that stance, when they say it will be a sign for you. Yes. And they say, well, they, the children would have to have seen it. They look at it and say that they saw the blood and it, like, helped strengthen their faith in that time. And so it's almost, again, getting getting it, you bringing the heart back into mm. the command. Mm. Yes, they did a physical command, but it actually helped support and reinforce their heart approach to Hashem in that moment. Almost like wearing my zitzi. Especially when they're tucked. Yes, ma'am. Or both of you. I heard for the first time this year um, that kind of it caught me off guard. I didn't know the answer. Were there Israelites that didn't put blood on their door? And I had to think about it. And if and if there were, were they not saved? But um, and I'm not sure. It is a, it is kind of a question. But my own thought was reading through chapter 12 that Moses tells the children of what to do, and it says. All that I'm not commanded, they they did. So I feel like they all did. But is it possible there was any that said no? I don't want to. I've got. I I have a great response, but I don't want to lead. I don't want to give the discussion. I want to lead the discussion. Was, were you just flicking your hand? Oh yeah. Oh okay. <laughs> Good. 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 I am, I am trying. I am trying to look for these uh, these auction things. You know, fifty. I see fifty in the corner. Yes, yes. Well, that's, that's a good point. And I, it is a good point. Um, and it's it's interesting because the, the Torah says they did everything that he commanded, and that not even a dog will let its tongue. I mean, to I want to talk about that. Oh, okay, that's cool. Dog, exactly. The sages say, and very very commonly, four fifths of the Israelites died in Egypt uh, because they did not put their trust in God. They didn't actively do something. Yeah, I don't know that it's the majority opinion, but there's a big um, number that's say that. It's in the Midrash. Yeah. It, go ahead. No, no, that's fine. I was going to say, the reason they, when, when they died, though, is important because um, tradition holds that's why the plague of darkness right. was before this one. That Hashem essentially weeded out all of the Israelites who were not righteous or were not trusting in him during the darkness when the Egyptians couldn't see it. So they couldn't say, oh, God's, you know, wiping out the Israelites too. Part of his people. Yeah. They, they, they didn't realize that was taking place. But God was actually um, winnowing, if you will, mm -hmm. from his people during the darkness. Good. But, but, the, but it's important to note that it, it, wasn't a, it, it wasn't a complete faith that was required. Was required as simple obedience. Okay. Okay. What 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 the midrash teaches is that those that died were not those that were idol worshippers or I mean any manner of, of sinners. Those that died were simply not willing to leave Egypt. Hmm. And and that because we see later when we see in in the in the wilderness we see people who you would think shouldn't have been there. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 
Um, would you explain further, or Joshua, would you explain further what you mean by weeding out with the darkness? And well, in the sense that, like, like there were some Israelites who were not in a place, not in a place of trusting Hashem, not just following Him, to be worthy of being taken out. They were, they were sinners, and in some level of whatever it might be. And so, during the darkness, basically. The whole set of plagues was about God elevating himself Mm -hmm. to show that he is the one over all creation. And part of that process was showing that he was the God of the Hebrews. They were his people. So that's why he differentiates in the plagues between, okay, up after, what is it, the frogs or whatever. Now now it's not going to bother my people. It's just going to bother your people. And that will prove to you that I'm their God and I can protect them. So the darkness was like a cover, if you will, under which God could mete out judgment on his own people. that the Egyptians would not see, and the Egyptians couldn't come back and say, oh, see, well, God's killing his own people too. In fact, Moses himself uses this argument later in the wilderness with the, um, with the, the calf, or the, the golden calf incident, because he basically says, hey, if you wipe out your people here in the wilderness, all the Egyptians are going to go, see, he was just taking them out to slaughter them. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, mm. reputation thing. Um, that's where I was going to go. Uh, not the darkness thing, although that's cool, but that God, throughout His Word, talks about His people. And He defines it in such a way and talks about it in such a way that you really can't tell who's in the box and who's out of the box by who they are. Which one they do. Yeah, because it, it never was. you got to be physically Hebrew to be in the kingdom or to be part of the covenant. It, it's a helpful thing for sure. But he made it clear, even in this spot, as he does later on throughout the Torah and the Tanakh, that my people will be obedient. My people will do this. And if you don't do this, what are you doing? Demonstrating you're not one of his people. Whether you were born a Jew or not, you're demonstrating you're not part of the covenant. You are not there. Whether it's in the darkness when you chose not to put the blood on, or later on in the wilderness, when you chose to rebel. It's the same thing. And I like the way he generically does it. He talks about his people. It's also kind of cool in terms of the plague of darkness. If that, if the, if the tradition is correct, yeah. that being a judgment, it reminds me in the Apostolic Scriptures where it talks about the idea that judgment begins at the house of God. Amen. The step before God needed out that level of judgment on the Egyptians is where he started with his people. Amen. That's great. That's great. Now that, that's a perfect parallel right to the Apostolic Scriptures and we see them come together. Yes. Uh, yes. I would simply add not, not to go too overboard as some might as replacement theology is done. Mm-hmm. And you, you would say that if, if you were among God's people, if you just followed the custom of the people, your neighbor's putting stuff on his door, okay, I'll put stuff on my door. In other words, not trying to obey God, just simply because that's, just, that's part of being Jewish, or in this case, part of being a Hebrew, this is what we do. Yes. You know, if that's the case, that's good enough. In other words, it's good enough to get the community out of Egypt that's sufficient to get us out yeah. of Egypt. And it's, and, and it's the opposite of what I was saying. If you don't do what his exactly. people do, you're demonstrating you're not part. Precisely. But if you do, you're not necessarily a part yet. Yeah. 
But you're exactly right. So, 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 at you know, as a counter to replacement theology, who would try and remove the covenant or even remove God's favor from amongst the Jewish people? Right. We would we would do the opposite. We would say, no. Look, being Jewish is actually not just a good thing; it's a great thing because even if just you do is just being part of the Jewish people and following the customs of of Judaism, at least you'll be preserved. Amen. That's exactly right, and it, and it's a wonderful thing. Because we, members of the covenant, should be a preserving factor in our world. And that's what the sages have been talking about for thousands of years. And, you know, they start coming up with all kinds of stories about it. There's fires raging from town to town. But not this town. This town didn't have any fire that wiped out most of the city. Why? Well, there was a godly woman there. And she shared the fire from her oven with all the other women in the town. And God protected that town because of her righteousness. That's cool. You can take that spiritually and go way off and have some great times and tear things up. But the concept is that we should be a preserving factor. Okay. Before we start digging in line by line as much as we can in the time we have... Tell me something you saw for the very first time this year that you've never seen, especially if you've been reading this over and over and over again every year. What did you see for the first time? I can tell you I saw the dog thing, right? I have been in places where I was happy to have a handgun because I'm delivering computers to a really, really bad neighborhood. And there's these, like, what we used to call the Baskerville. Um, uh, what kind of dog was that? This is a a, 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 a junkyard dog, right? It's, yeah, this is like your pit bull stuff, and they're growling at you, and I mean, you're just feeling like I'm going to die. This is going to rip my throat out, or whatever it may be, right? This didn't happen to any of. Any, any dog that was was in the land there, not one of them growled, or how's it put it, it didn't uh, wet, his, wet his tongue, to any of the Israelites or to their animals. And, and I saw in this the very sovereignty of God. That he not only displayed his power throughout all the nations when he did this work, but he also controlled the animals that were there. That's To me, that's an amazing thing. Jeremiah. One thing that uh, <coughs> I may, may seem simple, but uh, one thing I just hadn't noticed before was the seeming dichotomy or uh, opposition of how God essentially is making a mockery out of the Egyptians. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, Pharaoh's free will hasn't been taken away. Like I just hadn't noticed that before. I just kind of like, okay, yeah, it's there, whatever, moving on. And this time I was like, I was really struggling. I was like, so wait, they're making God's making a mockery out of Egypt, so Pharaoh just has to go along with it. That he he has no say. You I know mean, how does he deal with this? I mean, God essentially just all right. Look, I'm going to judge you, but I'm not going to give you an opportunity to do anything to get out of the judgment. I'm just going to judge you anyway. I was like, that doesn't sound. Mm-hmm. I does. mean, God, whatever He does is ju- is is just, and we know that. But I was just like, that's still confusing though, because it seems like an opposition. And it was really kind of cool being able to read some of the stuff that the sages are saying to say, his free will wasn't taken away. Right. But it's as if a man who says, I will sin first and then make teshuvah. That doesn't say that if you do something like that, 
you will not be granted the opportunity to have Teshuvah later. And that's what the sages say with that. But when that is said, it's not to say that Teshuvah can't be made. It's just going to be really hard. Hard. Much, much harder. Exactly. I like the two different words that are used to describe the hardening of uh, Pharaoh's heart. And we'll look at that. One is Kazakh, which we say at the end of every book. Um, Strengthen. Hang on. Yes. Um, I was puzzling through some of the timing actually, one of the things that I saw this year when he talks about the lamb that you bring into the house mm-hmm. uh, within its first year and it should be years for examination until the 14th day this month, and then it says you shall slaughter it in the afternoon Well, it's uh, actually I, I, the I, word Eret Right, and, and what, I'm, what I'm puzzling out is how a lot of the, the movies and, and just I guess we may even just kind of in our mind imagine that they've left like when the sun came up the next day, kind of thing. But they left. Uh, but you should. But it said, um, "Don't leave it over until morning." They left. So that's first thing in the morning. So it's, they did leave. So it's the dark. Well, it's, well, it's between the twilights that they well, have to kill. It. So you shall not leave any of it until morning. So, uh, by the biblical reckoning on the creation the creation account, it's sunset, right there. Between the twilights. Yes. So later on, we see that in Leviticus. But clearly, at Sunday, on the 14th, mm-hmm. as you're starting the 15th, is when they killed the lamb, right. roasted it, and ate it. They left on the 15th in the morning. Like as the sun's coming up? Absolutely. First thing in the morning. They were. Okay. They left. That's when they left. Just uh, picking up on some of the comments from Jeremiah, we talked a little bit about this. And the thing I liked about this passage and the whole hardening of Pharaoh's heart is it's a great uh, scriptural example of where the whole you know predestination free will thing is not mutually exclusive right. because if you go back uh, to to uh, Parsha Shemot where uh, you have the whole incident the burning bush and that whole discourse between Moses and Hashem Hashem says I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart and that's before Moses has ever even left to go to Egypt, right? So he says, I'm gonna I'm gonna harden his heart. So you know, you can take that scripture and say, Well, God, if God's gonna harden his heart, then he has no say in the matter, right? But then when you actually start, you know, last week we sort of, uh, we saw in the portion at the beginning of the plague. At the beginning of the plagues, right. At the beginning of the plagues we see that uh, you know, Moses and Aaron would go before Pharaoh make Quest and it, it would and he, in the scripture says and Pharaoh, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Yeah, and he, and it does that for I think the first four or five plagues, and then all of a sudden the language changes and it says and God hardened his heart. And so, to me, that's a great illustration of God said before it all before all this started, I'm going to harden his heart. That's that's a fact. That's a true statement. But he still gave. Pharaoh the opportunity to make a choice, and Pharaoh chose to harden his own heart and reject Hashem, at which point after enough opportunity had had been given, then then Hashem says, okay, if that's how you want to play, then that's how we're going to play, because my name will be glorified in all the earth. And so you see a great picture of this the idea that they're not mutually exclusive concepts. Yes, yeah, that's good. I like it. Yes. Yeah. Hang on one second. Did I have? Did I have someone else over here? 
No. Yes, ma'am. Okay. That was this, the chapter 10, first two verses, that's what really stuck out for me this year. It's like I, I, had, ne- I had seen Pharaoh had hardened his heart, you know, and all this, but I had never seen, and it says, go to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may perform these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearings of your son and of your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. This time, it meant to me, it it even re-emphasized with me, I have a responsibility not only to share with my children, but my grandchildren. I've already been burdened about that, but even more after reading this, this time. And it's like, oh my goodness, that's why he hardened his heart. Now, he may have gone back and unhardened it or whatever. And we go through the Seder to do just that. It hit me, and I went last night through that with my own children, grandchildren, last night about the plague. Do you remember Passover? That's you know when we do the little great juice yeah. on the plate or whatever and they did remember. Praise, praise God. Yes. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, the other thing I thought was interesting this year that I didn't see before was that the unblemished lamb could come from the sheep or from the goats. Okay. I just I that could be my lack of understanding of Husbandry and all that. Yeah. that it just that didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm from New York, barely. I've never just, seen a lamb. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't it just come from the sheep, or wouldn't they say the flocks if they were hanging out together? Yeah. It says it could come from either, and I just thought that was that was interesting. Yeah. There's probably some deep theological thing there. You and I will find in about Excellent. five years. Right? And what's interesting is in Leviticus, it comes as a shock to people to know that the offerings, the tamid offerings, weren't sheep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the tamid offerings were goats. Yeah. The sin offering is yeah. often a goat. Yeah. The goat, but it's say is a lamb. It could be either a goat or a sheep. It doesn't matter. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's a young. How about that? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. I just want to come back on what a couple of people said. It reminds me of Romans 1, where it says that because what may be known of God is manifest to them. For God has shown it to them, but then it goes down and it says, But they professed to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of God, the incorruptible God, into an image made like corruptible man. And then it says, Therefore God gave them over. Right. It's almost that you had your way, and he helps them take that way. Yeah. So it just reminds me of what Greg was saying, what Gloria was saying is, is that process that you go yeah. through. That God hasn't given up on you until you're so hardened your own heart that he just says, Okay. Amen. Yeah. The sage's comment on that is saying that God hardening his heart was almost more like uh, the idea of painkiller. In other words, a normal logical person would have seen all of these things and would Well, his, his servants come to you. What are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, all of Egypt is being destroyed. Moron, wake up! So, yeah. But the, the sages teach that you know, hardening the heart was not so much that God made him sin, but more the idea that he removed, he removed Pharaoh's ability to feel the pain of what he was going through. So in other words, it was like um, it's like the idea in Proverbs where it talks about the drunken guy who's like and they beat me up and I said can I have another? You know, that kind of idea. <laughs> it's like he, he, he's dull. You thought to, that was art? Come on, hit me hard. He, he thought he, he's dull to what God is doing. So basically, what if you really think about it, what God is doing is he's enabling Pharaoh, he's stripping away everything but Pharaoh. In other words, Pharaoh, you want to do this? 
I'm not going to put any outside pressure on you to encourage you to not do what you want to do. And that's actually one of the things in here that says something along the lines of, and God hardened his heart, and Pharaoh did not wish to let the people go. And it's like you see that. It's like God hardened his heart so that Pharaoh could do what he wanted to do. Good, good. Yes? Just to pick up on that idea, I think one of the lessons for us is the danger of a hardened heart because because you know uh, Joshua's right a normal rational thinking person would have said uncle long ago nine plagues ago right <laughs> but but that's that's what happens when pride allows us to harden our hearts then we can't we're not thinking rationally and we can't have the appropriate response and so I think that's a great lesson because we all have the potential to be a pharaoh if we don't if we're not careful and, right? and, it, and it happens to all of us sooner or later somebody that you're going to for counsel after you've really paddled your canoe in the wrong direction looks at you dead in the eye and says what were you thinking <laughs> well now we know wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't that's why the, that's why the prayer I believe should be always be accompanied with help my unbelief amen yeah that's good my mom actually had brought, brought something new to my eyes that I hadn't seen before as well. And the first, uh, first, I'm um, sorry, chapter 10, verse 10, when Moses is telling Pharaoh, we are going to go, we, and he says, our children, and our sons, and our flocks, we're all going to go because it's a feast for, for the Lord Achag. And then Pharaoh says, it's kind of comical, uh, I know what you're trying the to do. Lord be with you if I ever let your little ones go. Yeah, and it's funny. He says, "May Hashem be with you," as it, you know, as mocking. Yeah, and it's crazy. Uh, my, my mom had, had made the connections. Like, of course, Egypt, Mitzrayim is the world. The only thing the world would want to have is our children, is the kids. And as long as they can oh, hold that, great. as that's long great. as they can claim those souls, then then all and it's just a matter of time before the older generation dies and game over. Yeah, and, and, and so by the way, it's, it's only a, just a matter of time. It's one generation. That's right. From the link to that, I think there's actually a an alternative understanding from the sages that says that Pharaoh actually was being somewhat sincere, and that he refused to let the children go because, from his mind, that was ridiculous. You're going to take children into the wilderness? This is, what kind of a god would have you do that? And it reinforces again some of this idea as far as the world versus versus us that says things don't always make sense to the world what God has told us to do. It's like you want to homeschool your children? They'll be completely, you know, incapable of socializing or, or you know, you you, uh, you want to have more than two kids? Well, the, all the rest of your children will feel so unloved or whatever it may be. Whatever but the world has a standard that they think makes sense. Just like Pharaoh, you know, thought he knew what was best. And uh, the, the reality is that ultimately God's wisdom is, is the best. Amen. Right, I saw two things that I didn't notice before. Number one, how many locations are we dealing with in this portion? Generic. Does all of it take place in Egypt? No. No, it doesn't, does it? We start out in Egypt... And we're doing the back and forth thing with Pharaoh and Moses. And then, you're and then we leave, right? And the back end of the portion, 
when Moses is told to tell the people about future Passovers, they're not in Egypt. They were pretty busy the, the night they left, right? They had to do the first Passover, and they had to make sure that it was burned up in the morning. They had to get the silver and gold. They had to pack up and leave. It says they had to gather up their their uh, bread and their clothing, and they couldn't rise. That's why they ate matzah. Not because God said, eat matzah. Because they didn't have time to let it rise. Every time after that was because he said, don't eat leaven. Right? So we've got two different places. We're in, the, we're in the wilderness, and we're in Egypt. And secondly, I thought it was pretty cool that Moses did not know how this was all going to work out. Did you notice that? He, he's talking to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, well, you, know, you can't take the animals. Why, why, why do you need the animals? And Moses says, well, we don't know yet what kind of sacrifices we're going to have to make. He's going to tell us when we get there. I like that. Isn't this like a pattern with Moses? He doesn't seem to have any idea what's going to happen. Heads out this way, meets a bush. (laughs) Has no idea how it's all going to work out. I want you to go talk to him. It's going to be a tough time. I really don't talk to him. I'll send your brother. I still really don't talk to him. Just get. And then he almost dies. And, you know, it's just like a, it's like an awakening for Moses each time something happens. But here, he makes it clear right to Pharaoh. We have no idea what we're going to need. Need a bunch of sheep? Need a bunch of goats? Squirrels? We don't, we don't know. We've got to bring it all with us. That's neat. Uh, one of the things that I saw for the first time, well, I didn't see it for the first time, but it, could, it struck me for the first time this time. Um, in is, that, is that the verbiage I should use next time? What struck you for the first time? I, I don't know. In the beginning of chapter 11, um, it says that God is telling us, it's right after um, Pharaoh says, you know, don't ever see my face again. No, Moses says, yeah. you're absolutely right. I'm never going to see your face again. So then God says to him, one more plague I'm going to bring, ask for the silver and the gold. And then it tells us this random fact, Moses was very great in the land of Egypt. Because we needed to know that. Then Moses says, it just says, Moses said. So we don't actually know who he's talking to. But from the, what he's saying, it appears that he's talking to Pharaoh. Already is a little bit of like a problem for me because he wasn't supposed to see Pharaoh again, so what is he doing now? And he tells him the whole thing about the firstborn is going to die. And he leaves Pharaoh's presence. It says he left him in burning anger. But Pharaoh doesn't even say anything. I mean, we, there's, no, there's no dialogue here. Moses has a big paragraph of script, and then he leaves in burning anger. And I just, it, for me, it doesn't make any sense. First of all, because... Anger is a really, it's a very powerful emotion. I don't think Moses is angry again until, you know, the, the time. The rock deal. Which was, you know, big, big bad. Big bad. Thing. Ugly, yeah. um, so it, that's, that strikes me because he's not, he's not an angry person. He seems to be very peaceful, very, um, you know, laid right, let's, let's hold on the anger thing and let's paint the picture. Let's, let's, we'll do the play. So who can uh, who can paint the picture for me? Um, wh- what verse are we on here in chapter eleven, so that I can have well, everyone? Well, it's eleven one, but if you're going to start with the Pharaoh uh, thing, I'll never see your face again. Ten twenty seven. 
Adonai strengthened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not wish to send them out. Pharaoh said to them, to him, Go from me, beware. Do not see my face anymore, for on the day you see my face you shall die. Moses said, You have spoken correctly. I shall never see your face again. 11.1 Adonai said to Moses, One more plague I shall bring. Verse 2, Please speak in the ears of the people. Verse 3, Adonai granted the people favor. Verse 4, Moses said, So said Adonai, at about midnight, but against the children of Israel, then all the servant of yours will come down to me and bow. After that I will leave. And he left Pharaoh's presence, verse 8, in a burning anger. So who can, who can describe for me what time of day it is, what's happening, how much did chickens cost that day? Anything that you may know. So God speaks to Moses in while he's still in the presence of Pharaoh. Really? That's what the sages say. Really? Yeah. yeah. What so say it's a big deal. What day is it? I guess the thirteenth. <laughs> <laughs> what day is it? No, this has to be like before the tenth because they have we haven't even told the Jews to get the sheep get the. Yeah, see, if, if it's all happening right after the... The tenth, uh, by the way, was told to them in the wilderness. The whole tenth thing is later. That's not the first time. Well, no, it says in, in chapter 12... It says it shall be yours for examination until the 14th of this month. Because it's on the tenth of this month, they shall take for themselves, each man. So the implication is this is like the week before Pesach somehow, like the ninth or something. Yeah, I don't think that's the case at all. Oh. I think it, he's telling them that's how it's going to be in the future. I always sort of, I mean, when was the darkness? When was it so dark you could feel it? How many days was it? Three days. How many days was it dark? Three days. Or was it six days? <laughs> <laughs> there were some. There were some who say there's two stages of darkness. One set of three days that was like normal darkness, and then one set that was so bad you couldn't move. Can Can you not pick it up? Try and paint it. You may be wrong. It's okay. What what day is it? When does all this happen? Back up. When do they leave? The morning of the 15th. When did they kill the... He said 15th. When did they kill the lamb? The evening of the 14th. The evening of the 14th, which is right, you know, right beforehand, right? As the sun is setting, which begins the 15th, that's when they're killing the lamb. When did they get the lamb? Really? If they got the lamb on the 10th, is it dark yet? 10, 11, 12. Hmm. 13, 14. They killed the lamb? Was it dark over there? So you're mixing places, right? Aren't you mixing places? God shined his flashlight. Well, yeah, that's exactly where I was. The darkness, it can be dark in Egypt. So bad you can feel it. On the 14th. Right before they left. Right before he went through and took out the firstborn. Why? Because it wasn't dark in Goshen. It wasn't dark for the people of God. There was light in the dwellings. I've always well, that's the part I saw, by the way, the first time this year. Why didn't they light a candle? Why, why didn't they light some kind of torch? I know I know why. But she knows why. <laughs> I have a theory on that. <laughs> Please. I, I, don't, I don't know, but I have a theory on it. 
And you have a plan. I, I do. Well, I think it's because um, for this particular plague, God allowed the Egyptians to be to, to see or to feel actually what it would be like to experience um, things the way that we will be able to experience them in the world to come. Because here we can't feel darkness, but he allowed them to feel it. And so we all taste color and Right. And and so but he it was like it was a supernatural plague, obviously. Of course. And so I think they obviously must have tried to make some kind of light in their dwelling because nobody's that stupid. Right. But he I think either they could light like a match or a flame, but it gave off no light. That's true. That's true. Just even thinking about that is amazing, right? So you light the match, but there's no but there's no light there because be it's. Heat. But if you put your hand over it, you burn your hand. But no light. That's cool. I like this. It's too thick. Because it's actually one. This actually does happen in nature today. It's called a black hole. It, and it makes that sound too. Yes. <laughs> well, it just is. Uh, not there's, there's no sound. Yeah, I said there's no sound. Reading some of Bill Bullock's. Yes. Yes. The uh, rabbi's son. He made the correlation that the same Hebrew word that they said for the plague of darkness was the same Hebrew word that they used at creation. Right. That darkness enveloped the earth. So mm. Mm. there's correlations there. They couldn't touch. But he was saying the the spirit hover over the face of the earth and he's talking about the spirit hovering in the ocean sure. so that they had the They've light got this, this is not the negative of light this is not the absence of right. light this darkness. is darkness mm -hmm. it is yeah. darkness that overcomes light mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's that's cool and he said it was right after the plague of the locusts too so all of vegetation in Egypt was gone Yes. so what are they going to do they're going to look for food so not, said, this not is another, in the dark. Yeah. Well, this yeah, this is another act of God to yeah. stay their hand from plundering the uh, the Jewish people that had the only food in the land. Right. Good. Yeah. Well, they also cool. the, the darkness. They the one of the cool things in the darkness there is they say that God allowed the Israelites to sneak in through all the Egyptians' homes and figure out where all the stuff was so they could like I want that. You have this little gold pillar thing in the corner, and I'd like that one. It's and like a baby shower. You go through and you like you you, yeah. you, you put the scanner on the stuff you want. But, but the cool part is the sages goes. Uh, in addition to that, they say that when the Egyptians realized that the Israelites had done that and didn't take anything, it actually like bolstered their their the thoughts towards the the, the Hebrews because it's like, oh wait a minute. You're not yeah. like us. We would have just gone ahead and taken it, you know, yeah. that kind of deal. Yes, it's cool. This it's interesting discussion. This whole, you know, the darkness and, and but it, but we know there was light in Goshen, which which reminds me of Proverbs six twenty three that says, "Your commandment is a lamp, That's right. mm. and the Torah is your light." Mm. So what's interesting about that is the mitzvah, the commandment, is not the light. It's the lamp that provides an opportunity for the Torah to shine. But the Torah is the source of light. And of course, the living Torah, Messiah Yeshua, is, is or halam, the light of the world. But, but it's interesting. So why did they have light in Goshen? Because they have the Torah in the, in the Torah. I like that. That's good. And, and so, anyway, it's kind of a different, cool, different thought. Cool. Yes, ma'am. 
In this, that this is a, an attack on their gods. If you're feeling like your god is the sun god, and the darkness is there, and there's no power greater than this god, and somewhere, somewhere, there's a power a whole lot greater, and I can't make light. Then you get really frightened because the power. I, I can tell you, I'd be frightened if I lit a match and couldn't see the flame, but could burn my hand. That would. How you found it? The fear would be incredibly great, and in, in this horrible darkness that you're in, because the thing that you think has the most power in the world has obviously not power enough to give right. you light. And then on top of that, the thing that hit me this year was the sounds that must have been going on. I can't imagine as a mother. What the cries of the mother? You're talking about for the death. Yes, after the death. I was thinking in the darkness with the stubbing and the go, go, go. I do that all the time now. But you add the death on top of days of darkness where you don't, you're not able to touch one another, you're not able to see one another, you're not able to have that sense of family and communion. You're sitting in the darkness wondering what's next and how bad is it going to get, and then the death comes. I, I just can't fathom yeah. what it's like building and building and yeah, building what the pain would have been and then it actually gets worse yeah that's a good point you'd want to strangle Pharaoh <laughs> yeah. really a bad yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 I mean, yes. you can see that the servants of Pharaoh are going to him and saying look this is what you need to do at this point get these people out of here yeah you got to the point where the head leader who they consider a deity they're, the servants are now going to him saying, what are you doing? Are you stupid? Yeah. It's like, that's pretty bad when you get to that it point. Is. It is, indeed. Wouldn't it feel like a blindness? <laughs> I'm sure it would feel like a blindness. Because, because like, if you, like, for your example, striking the match, you still feel the heat, heat and everything, your eyes are open, but you don't see anything. Right. It would be like a blindness. Yeah. Even worse. Right? That's Knowing that you really feel. can see, but now you can't. You know, yeah, like you've had some kind of car accident or something. Final comment, yes. Two, two, two final so, comments, one yes, of course. I think Moses was, was so angry when he left Pharaoh's presence. Pharaoh said, you, uh, you will no longer see my face. Um, and if, if you see my face, you'll die. There's is something to that. that. That's actually where I was heading when she mentioned that. Okay. With the darkness and the timing. You know. on, the, on the day you see my face, you will, will show me that. Yeah. Sounds a lot like what God said. Mm. Hashem says, no man will see my face and live. Mm. And to me, that's one reason why he's so angry. Is Pharaoh is trying to put himself in the right. same category oh, that's great. as Almighty God. And you can't even see me and live. And honestly, that's not the case. And maybe that is why mm. Moshe was flaring with anger. Because he was—he had that much panache to try to put himself on that. Chutzpah, I think, is a better way. I don't know. That almost seems like just kind of has like the the scene in um, um what is it, Fugue Men? You know, there's a shouting match going back. You can't handle the truth. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like yeah, because if, if Moses tells us, because you're gonna you're gonna give us offerings yourself, we're gonna take, and then Pharaoh comes back, and you see me again. <laughs> Yeah, back and forth, back and forth. Second comment, this is a little mystical. So, so mystical, all right. But mystical on. So, so you have you have your, your blood, and you're gonna make you know a line here, and a line here, and a line here. Yeah. You just made a Hebrew letter. Yes. Chet. Chet. Hi, right for life. Eight. What's the eighth word in the Torah? Is after the first verse you have. So, then again, and seven is the number of completion. It's cyclical. It's a pattern of this 
Olam Hazeh, Olam Haba starts with and earth. The world to come. And it's the beginning of the redemption and of redeeming the earth, and which is what this whole uh, narrative is talking about, redemption, it begins with blood, with with the blood that, you know, life-giving blood, which is what, you know, the, the next world, Olam Haba will start with as well, or which, you know, which is what is it's founded on is you know the blood that was sh- uh, shed from the foundations of, of the world from yeah. both both worlds. So. so the blood is the way <laughs> and to the doorway. There you go. <laughs> this could work. This could work. We could play this up. This is good. Okay. So <laughs> mystic off. That was great. That was. I mean, it was understandable. It was short. It was sweet. It made sense. You could even say it in church. I mean, people would know that. Yeah. <laughs> I just have a, a different view of, of this verse nope. where he was in great anger. Controversy? Oh, no, no, no. Just no, no. It, His nose was hot. I'm one His nose was hot. Moses, as we see throughout this time, is a compassionate man. Moses loves his people. Moses is willing to give whatever it takes. He's gone to Pharaoh time and time again and said, if you will just do this, mm. if you will just do this, and Pharaoh gets harder and harder and harder, now he's had to tell me, your son is going to die at midnight. Mm. Mm. I've got to walk out of here and do other things. Mm. And there's nothing I can do to change your mind. Mm. Wow. And to me, that's what I see. Is, mm. is how can you be so stupid? You know, how can I come to you? How can you go through nine plagues? How can you do all this? Not see what we're trying to see you. And know that there's going to be great anguish in the land that he grew up in. Just being this is... This is a great perspective, mm-hmm. and it's surprising to me that I haven't seen it before as a parent, because as an effective parent, that's when we should be upset, that's when we should be angry, is when we've tried to teach our children over and over and over again, and they refuse to listen, and you're forced, your hand is forced, and you, and you must discipline. Um, that's, that's excellent. What a great perspective. I like that. I like that a lot. Masterclass points for you. Uh-huh. Well, I, you know, I, I come with that. You know, that's really good because even in the desert, you know, Moses always interceded. Every time. Every time. And, you know, there again, we as parents, you know, always we do whatever we can, mm-hmm. and you know, for our children. So that, you know, there again, you know, Yeshua intercedes for us, mm-hmm. the Father, you know, the Abba. So I think it's just a one big correlation. That's good. That's great. Good. And exasperation, mm-hmm. anger. Kind of thing. Which reminds me of, um, was it John 10, when Yeshua is faced with the death of Lazarus? Mm. There's almost that same idea. There's this groaning inside, but it's not like the language, remember, from what I've heard before. It's not so much the groaning like like a weeping, more like like this, you feel, like, you feel hot, you know? It's like, it's almost like he's angry at death. That death is wreaking this havoc on people he loves. Yeah, and it's like it's again. It's and like, he knows it doesn't need to be that. That's way. The, that's what it is. It's like you know it doesn't have mm. to be that's this good. way, but it that's is. That's great. Our, a good our, perspective. Our prayers from the scriptures actually say the same thing. Uh, Hashem is not pleased with the death of the wicked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he is. Uh, he's upset with the death of his righteous ones. So yeah, good. All right. <sighs> that was great. That was good. Now, back to basics. Are you going to keep the Pesach 
That's really not the right way to put it. What's the right way to put it about Passover? When you keep it. Are you going to remember it? When you remember. Safeguard? Somebody said. Safeguard? Commemorate, sir. Eat. 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 Eat the Passover. Are you going to eat the Passover? No. You cannot eat the Passover unless you're circumcised, this and that, and the other thing. Are we going to eat the Passover this year? No. We cannot eat the Passover. So we have to remember the Passover. And this is the day we're remembering. Why can't we eat the Passover? Because there was only one. Nope. We need a, we need a, we need a functioning uh, priesthood and a tabernacle or a, or a temple or something. We've got to be able to kill that Passover lamb, bring it home, and roast it. And we can't do that. It's just not possible. So that's why what is traditionally eaten on Seder, for, at the Seder? Brisket. We have brisket, right? right? Why don't they have lamb? Chicken. Right. We won't have lamb on Passover for the Seder meal until we can actually eat the Passover lamb. Right? Good. You said there was only one Passover. That's this one. Everything else is a remembrance. So, how many of you are going to remember Passover this year and actually have a Seder in your home? Okay, cool. So, tell me why I would be not thrilled. It's not bad. It's not a sin. Why wouldn't I be thrilled if somebody came up to me and said, Hey, Let's let's rent out the Holiday Inn over here, and we'll have a a, a a seder where everybody can come, and we can actually teach it. Why would I be against that? It's supposed to be done in the home. So what? Talk to me. Why does that make a difference? It says, don't take it out of your place. Say again. It says don't take it out of your place. Okay. Yes. Well, it's isn't it also to teach your family? <sighs> Household. And you're. Oh, you're my daughter. No, that's right. No. Yes. The Passover is specifically, over and over again, yes. a reminder to parents, specifically right. fathers, right? Yes. We are supposed to be teaching our children what God did for yes. us. The idea is at the end of the Seder that everyone there should feel emotionally like they personally came out of Egypt. We're going to teach our children and our children's children. But who teaches the ignorant? That's why I said, I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it. it you know, if, if we're bringing massively, we're bringing a whole bunch of people up to speed, I don't have a problem with it. But I, tell, I will tell you that I've been involved on both sides of the street. And I would say that the best way for you to teach the ignorant is what I did the first 10 years. And that is, we invited... Two couples showed them, opened their eyes, sent them home with the admonition, here's a kippah, here's a Haggadah, do one, do one in your home. And I, I, I can tell you the, the, just the joy of eight years later getting a handwritten note from a guy who said, I'm getting ready for the Seder. I still have the Haggadah you gave me. I've been wearing the kippah you gave me every morning as I pray. And we're having three couples over for the first time for their first Seder in our home. I think that's a better way to do it. Sam Nadler has, what, 200 people. 300. 300 people. And does a Seder. God bless him. But he usually doesn't do it. And he doesn't do it on the night, which is great. The church tends to want to do it on the night. And I have a problem with that. You know, let's teach. No question. But yeah, I mean, the, the place where it needs to be is in the home.
You know, and that's, I believe, your mileage may vary, but I believe that's the beginning of discipleship. Here, I did it. I invited you to mine. You go do this. Feel comfortable? Invite somebody. Show them. Teach them about the goodness of God and about His redemptive work. I just think that's the way it should work. Boop, 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 boop. You know, and it's like a bread commercial, right? And you get all those ones. And there's six more festivals you're going to invite. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So don't misunderstand. I'm not against the, the group thing. Having the group, just don't... I wouldn't do it on Erev Pesach, you know? And I was, I was asked to lead one one year. Will you lead it for us? Sure. When are you having it? Well, we're having it when you're supposed to have it. Oh. Well, if you can have it any other night, I'd love to do that. But I've got to teach my children. Yes, ma'am. And while you're on the subject, I just want to say, you know, single people who, who don't have a family yet or whatever, um, we we as families are having to say that we have a responsibility Absolutely. to Absolutely. around and yeah. make sure that those single people have a place to be because they were required, you know, to have their own land. They were part of another. That is a mitzvah. And I, I and it's 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 big, okay. Shame on us if in our own fellowship there is single people or a couple you know living alone with no children yet that aren't having a seder. Shame on us if they have not been invited to our homes. Amen. Amen. Oh, that was so weak. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. How is it that the death on the cross of our blessed Messiah Yeshua parallels this? Yes, ma'am. Not one bone should be broken. You can't break any bones of the Pesach lamb. The scripture goes out of its way to make it clear that not one of Yeshua's bones was broken. Outstanding and new to this. I'm impressed. Yes, ma'am. On the tenth day, you're supposed to bring the lamb in for yes. inspection. Inspection. It was, was that Palm Sunday? It was Palm Sunday. Outstanding. <laughs> he actually presented himself to the religious leaders for inspection. And if you look at the word. That is when we get this constant questioning from all the various religious groups. And at the end of all of it, it says, they couldn't find anything wrong with him. And from that point forward, they didn't ask him any more questions. Outstanding. Again, new to this. Outstanding. Yes, sir. Oh, it's a veritable man. Yeah. <laughs> that's also when he the city, mm. and then we went straight up to the temple. And that's when he overturned the money changers as if to get leaven out of, out of his own house. Excellent. Out of his father's house. Yes. So, so there's a beautiful picture there of, of what science Amen. Yeah. A cleansing of his people and at the appropriate time. And I would... I would uh, remind you, where does the world get this concept of spring cleaning? <laughs> That's where it came from. They're watching Jews. Yes, sir. The lamb had to be offered at twilight between the evenings. Yeshua mm. gave up the ghost said it's finished at the night fell. Excellent. Excellent. A, a, a great parallel. Um, I would uh, encourage you guys to take a look at some of the history of the day from Josephus and some of the others uh, that make it clear 
when they normally did the Passover lambs, when they started, when they ended, and so forth. And by the way, they ended when it was time for the afternoon sacrifice. And what did they do at the time of the afternoon sacrifice, when it was time? Pray. Besides pray, what did they do? They blew the shofar. So even though he's outside the city, he would know it was time. So he heard it, and just out of coincidence, happened to die at exactly that point. <laughs> that's not what it says. What does it say? He killed himself. I mean, that, really, that's how I would put it if I were writing the New Testament, right? He gave up his spirit. Yes, sir. As, as wonderful as all the correlations between the, the written commands are and what we see in Yeshua's life and death, what's, to me, even almost more compelling, uh, because we can make those correlations, but the compelling thing is the traditions of Judaism for 2,000 years and greater even have more parallels. Uh, and, and, and if there were anybody that wanted to draw a distinction, it would be, have been there. And yet we find again and again that traditions actually enforce the idea and that Yeshua it. accomplished this for us. Amen. And, and uh, I don't know if you realize, but uh, Rick's point is taken. If you've led a Seder and you're trying to bring out some of the cool deals that are going on with the, the three... Matzah deals and the thing is called an echad and the whole. I mean, this is all tradition, and yet it just just splashes Yeshua all over the place. Outstanding. Other comments, yes. Uh, one of the questions that came up at our Shabbat table last night was, uh, my sister asked, why why does the scripture say? Uh, that you're going to roast the entire lamb, you know, all intact, all, all intact, the whole innards and, and, and everything, and, and you're to consume it all. Why why does it say that? And it's a great question, and, and I don't necessarily know 